welcome to the Mind Talks podcast. You are with myself, Nathan, and my co-host, Edwin. And today we have a special, special guest. Um, currently, we are very, very happy <laughs> and um, are really trying to um, hide the excitement. So we have a former athlete and notably a, a former Olympian. And just to go through some of their accolades. So they got a bronze in a four by one relay at the Commonwealth Games in Manchester. They are an Olympic finalist in Athens in the 200 meters. They got a silver at the 2010 Commonwealth Games in Delhi in 200 meters and got the gold in the same Commonwealth Games in the four by one relay. So without further ado, a massive, massive thank you and warm welcome to Miss Abby Oyerpaton. I'm going to say this again, you know, we need to get this right, you know, we need to get this right. <laughs> so can you just, just tell us how we say it properly, please? I would Abby. say Oyerpaton. Oyerpaton. Yeah, or you just say Oyerpaton. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we try and say it your way, but um, a warm, 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 yeah. perfect, perfect. A warm, warm welcome and we're really, really honoured to have you on. So, you know, Mind Talks, we've got a bit of a, a routine. So I guess, Abby, what was your first living memory of a sport, either by playing or watching? What was your first living memory? Oh, gosh. Uh, my first living memory. I've never been asked that before. My first living memory of, like, I know when my first living memory of when I was, when I knew I was, not like I knew I was fast, but I ran really fast. Yeah. Um, I used when I lived in Nigeria, when I was at like, you know, two or three, no, three or four, and I was running through the playground and I remember thinking, oh my God, I'm flying. <laughs> I don't know, it's so weird. Um, so that was one of my, like, for a sport, oh God, I don't even know. I've never been asked that before. Um, gosh, oh, I don't know. Maybe it's football or something. I can't even recall. Um, but it has to be like some like football because <laughs> my dad loves football and yeah so yeah I think it will be football but I can't remember okay and at, at what point did your parents realize actually she she's kind of good at sports my parents never realized my parents are Nigerian <laughs> <laughs> I'm <gonna> take... <laughs> I parents never realized no my parents weren't interested and they weren't did not realize anything I realized it for myself to be fair um I realized it for myself I was uh when I came back I was born in England but um moved to Nigeria but when I came back from Nigeria when I was about six or something um I went to school in Harrow in uh Harrow World I went to school called ben, uh, Belmont Middle School yep. and I had this amazing teacher he actually was my sister's teacher but he, he really just took to me and my sister and um, he was the one that recognized that I was good at athletics. So much so that he made, he made, he wanted to coach me that he made me move a diff to his class. Mm. I was in like year, not year, like, I don't know. I was like eight or nine. I had to move to his class. Yeah. We had, yeah, I knew when I was seven so he could coach me and stuff. So it was, yeah, so yeah. That's when I knew I was fast, I suppose. Also, a teacher took like, oh yeah, she's good at athletics, good at sport. As a seven, eight, nine-year-old and knowing that you are, you know, moving into a different class because, you know, it was requested by your teacher. Can you just talk to us about that, that feeling, at, you know, for you at such a young age? Yeah, I just, I think it just, knowing that somebody saw that in me made and then I remember thinking like when I was leaving that primary school that middle school that he was like very much that you need to continue athletics because he yeah. wouldn't see me um you know you need to continue you know running and stuff and he would you know he was very much like doing and then like getting my parents to make make to help me join a sports team and stuff yeah. um yeah it just kind of embedded some kind of belief in myself that I knew that I was, you know, I was good at something. And to be fair, I knew I was good at it in, in that school and in like my bar, I suppose. But when I started to really compete, I wasn't amazing. <laughs> I realized, okay, I was good, but I wasn't that, I wasn't amazing. But yeah, but it was always something, you know, when I went to middle, when I went to high school, you know, I could have 
got in with the wrong crowd or do well but there's yeah. always something in the back of my mind of like oh you can't do that because you need athletes don't do that you know yeah. you can't go off and do things that you're not supposed to like smoking and stuff because that's not what athletes do and so I think that because I I knew that I wanted to be this athlete and at what point did you decide okay I want to be an athlete I want to be a professional athlete um when um I was 10 or 11 I saw Olympic Christie in the Barcelona Olympic Games I'd mm. never you know I tell this when I go into schools and not like I've been for a while but when I go to school I tell this story where I remember like the whole country well my school my school was the country <laughs> and my estate <laughs> was the country we didn't have the internet so just the excitement that Olympic Christie was in this Olympic final at yeah. the Barcelona 1992 Barcelona Olympics. It was huge. I'd never watched athletics on TV. I'd never seen anybody run. I don't recall that, but that was like the so when you to the point when you asked me when like when I first remember seeing sport, probably that was when I was but I'm sure I saw it early, but it never really resonated with me. But watching him and seeing like Colin Jackson, Sally Gunnell, Roger Black, all these amazing athletes that we had, we had so many. Um, but seeing Linford, like the whole, I live in a council estate, like the whole council estate was quiet for this Olympic. <laughs> like, <laughs> nobody said anything. And all of a sudden he wins. Everybody was like, you know, you know, the whole place was screaming. You know, my parents, like we had one TV in the house, parents sat us down. We all watched this final and it was amazing. Everybody was talking about it. And I remember thinking, oh my God, like that's what happens when you run fast, you go to Olympic Games. And I, in my head, that's what I wanted to go to. I wanted to go to Olympic Games. So at 10, 11 years old, so you said that, you know, you, that's when you really decided you wanted to be an athlete. You said earlier on about, you know, coming from, you know, a traditional Nigerian background. So how did you balance the, the thought process of actually wanting to be an athlete but then it's countered by the fact that, yeah, you've come in from a traditional Nigerian um, background where education is just, you know, the absolute key. So how are you dealing with that um, at such a young age? Yeah, it was really hard. Like, especially when I did my A-levels, that was the hardest time. But um, it was just like, you know what, my parents, typical Nigerians, like, you know, I went to Saturday school, I had tutors, my parents were just not, they wouldn't hit... Like, it's all about education. So I knew, like, that's something. And also, I felt like, you know, you, especially this immigrant mentality, like, you need something to back, you know, you have a full back pan. And, you know, as much as I wanted to be this athlete, it was this, like, weird... I don't, you know, I didn't know whether it was going to come true. Yeah. But, I just, you know, I wanted to be a lawyer because that's what my, you know, that's what I actually wanted to be a lawyer. But that yeah. what my parents probably molded me into wanting to being. And then I had this other thing in my head that I, you know, wanted to go to the Olympic Games. I wanted to be the fastest woman in the world. Yeah. I just thought I could do both of them. But, you know, as I started to, you know, do my GCSEs and then do my A-levels, the actuality, the actuality of trying to juggle was so hard. Like when I was doing my A-levels, it's the hardest exams I've ever done. Like, honestly, I felt, <laughs> I didn't feel suicidal, but I felt like this, like, you know, because your parents, everybody's telling you, like, if you don't get your A-levels, your life is over. You're never going to, you know, yeah. that's it. Like these, and these are the times when you weren't doing A-levels every, you know, quarter. You're doing A-levels after two years. So everything yeah. you learned in two years, you have to remember it in this, yeah. you know, this these exams. And, you know, I remember um, when I was doing my, you know, going on the bus to do my sociology exam, I was literally like three hours early. I saw a church which was open in Wembley High Street. I ran to where I went to church and I prayed. It was like a Wednesday. <laughs> and it was crazy because you felt like if you didn't achieve these exams, your life was over. But obviously I got my A-levels and stuff. Um, but I had this huge desire and this like, I don't know, this weird innate knowing that I, I wanted to be this athlete. Like I wanted to go to the Olympics. I wanted to run and nothing was going to deter me from that. But I just thought I could do the, the two. <laughs> And where do you where do you think you got that desire from? Because I know with a lot of people I've spoken to, when when you come from a from a traditional African background, the the pressure in terms of education sometimes may put one off when it comes to sport and they decide to give up. Where where do you think where you find that desire from? I I just like I just don't I don't know I I couldn't I couldn't tell you. 
it was just something that I, I wanted to, I just wanted to do. And everything, everything in my life, every decision I made, um, you know, was hinged on being, going to Olympic games. Like, you know, what university I went to, whether I went out with my friends, you know, whether I went training, you know, my parents didn't care whether I woke up on a Sunday at nine o'clock or whatever, eight o'clock to go training. They didn't care. <laughs> They're yeah. like, yeah, you know, whatever. <laughs> so I, everything was on me. So that was like that, those decisions of training, you know, going after school to training and stuff like that, or, you know, waking up early and, or going to Birmingham and, you know, to, to compete was just the decision. I just felt like I had, to, I don't know, I couldn't tell you. I just, I had that huge passion and desire to do that. Um, and I was obsessed with going to Olympics and being an Olympic champion. <laughs> and, just, mm. and that was it. <laughs> like, I don't, and I couldn't tell you where that kind of um, drive or um, desire came from. It's just something that I wanted to do. Um, yeah. I guess what screams out for me is A-levels and obviously you wanting to, to be an Olympian. Um, without going to the intricacies, can you remember what was the routine in terms of balancing schoolwork as well as going to training? Can you, so um, to be more specific, can you remember, was it um, maybe after college? How many times, oh, sorry, yeah, how many times after college were you going to train in a week? So can you just talk to us about yeah. that? Yeah, I remember, I would go, I think it was like Tuesday, you know, it wasn't, huge I think it was Tuesday Thursday and, and a Sunday yeah I would go training and then I started doing weights as well when I was 18 I think yeah um and then I would do that like you know maybe on a Wednesday and a Friday yeah but that was very much ad hocly that wasn't that wasn't my set my running routine was Tuesday Thursday and a Sunday and then I would have to like you know you know my one of my training partners started teaching me how to do weights and I would meet him on a Wednesday yeah and then maybe on a Friday but I wasn't well into weights at that point but um yeah and then one thing that athletics did teach me and having like you know that discipline was writing everything down like you know my coach would write down the session for six weeks or whatever would be a six, six weeks block and then have your training diary and write you know, he'll pull out the times and stuff, and he'd write it down and yeah. whatever what weights ever whatever weights you're doing, whether you're doing cleans, every every cleans, every session you write what you know, you know, what set, you know, how many sets you did or how many reps or whatever, what weight you did, and you see the progression. And so that in in my mind, I started to transfer that into my schoolwork. I was I I used to have massive books and I'd write everything down. I'd write my you know, my my plan how I you know um revise and stuff and I would you know everything was kind of structured I would structure it myself in the way that my coach had structured the way uh, our um six-week block so that's and that kind of gave me the structure and then I would know that and because it was structured to athletics you know you train this day and did it you know what I mean I, and then I, I knew when I would slot stuff in yeah um so what I always say is like athletics gave me the structure that I then I was able to embed in uh, schoolwork and my exams and stuff. And that discipline, you know, repetitiveness, like I was, you know, even revising, I became repetitive in it because that's what I had to do with athletics. So even though it was boring and stuff, but that was the, you know, in order to do that boring stuff to get to the amazing bit, I, I just get, got used to it. I got used to it. So I can just bang out boring shit in yeah. order to get to that, you know, that, you know, that amazing part. And I think yeah. that's what athletics taught me. When it came to race day, if let's say the race day, it didn't go to plan, would that affect your confidence? Oh God. Yeah. Like athletics, athletics dictated everything in my life. It dictated whether, you know, how joyous I was, how happy I was, you know, you know, my moods, you know, everything like, yeah. So yeah, definitely it would, it would totally dent my confidence or yeah, dent my confidence and um, yeah, how I felt about myself, I would say, or how I felt about, you know, athletics or, you know, everything, I suppose, just, yeah. yeah how I felt about everything. How much was, I guess, how much was spent on working on the mind compared to just working on the physical? Yeah, like this is the thing. 
I know it's probably changed now, but then like it was terrible. Nothing was spent on the mind. There was nothing. All the things I'm learning now, like I've got therapists now. Imagine like, I didn't even have that when I was an athlete. That's insane. I had this, you know, I had some uh, sports psychologists and stuff, but I also, I didn't even see the merit in it that, at that point. Yeah. But um, yeah, like, yeah, it's just, it's crazy. There's literally nothing spent on the mind. Like, yeah, I have insane amount of resilience that I didn't even know I had mm. until like, <laughs> until like stuff happened to me in terms of, and that's purely athletic stuff, not not like raw, not like world yeah. life stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, there was barely anything spent in mind. The only time it started to be spent on the mind, like I got a psychologist and stuff, I actually, 2003 when I was going into the 2004 Olympics Dave Collins who then became in two, out of 2004 became Felix he was my sports psychologist and actually he helped me he did help me kind of reframe my mind my, my thinking a little bit no. he did in 2003 going into Olympics in 2004 um because if you saw me as an athlete in 2003 <laughs> And 2004, I was a totally different athlete. Not just because of uh, Dave Collins, but because of a conversation I had with my coach in, after the World Championships in 2003, mm. and it switched my thinking totally. Um, and at that point, I became a, a professional athlete. Even though I'd been a professional athlete for like three or four years before, that conversation switched my whole mind. And then Dave Collins came on board. I think a few months or whatever leading up to Olympics um, and then, you know, getting into Olympic final and that, and that was, that was a totally different athlete at that point. But that just tells you if I'd had that, if I'd had that <laughs> three years before, maybe I would have been a different athlete. But anyway, yeah. Yeah, I actually remember, because I remember the, 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 the years you just spoke about, the difference between one year to the other, and you can clearly see like it was a switch of just, been turned on and you were just completely different athlete the next year yeah I was a totally different athlete 2003 was the most embarrassing I remember my coach I um I went to world championships in Paris in France and oh, I forgot her name but she got caught for drugs she I, oh, I forgot her name Kim is it Kim anyway um it was Dwayne Chambers whole saga saga thing but anyway I was in um Paris I was doing the yeah 2003 was when I became a, two, a 200 meter runner okay 2003 is a whole different tragedy so 2003 see okay this, let me tell you what happened in 2003 yeah, okay I had never run the 200 meters really I hated the 200 meters wow I would only the 200 meter I would rarely ever double up in the championships ever hmm. in the uh, British you know qualifying or whatever I would never do it I would always do the 100 meters I hated the 200 meters so three A's, it was called three A's now, I think it's called UK champs or something like that. But yeah. three A's, went to the 100 meters, I should have won the 100 meters. I had Red Bull. I'm gonna just be 100%. I had never had Red Bull. Red Bull had become the thing that everybody was having. I had Red Bull before my, my the 100 meter final, right? I don't do well on caffeine. I didn't know that at that point. I don't do well on caffeine. I don't do it on these like artificial drinks and stuff, but because everybody was having it and it was free and the thing, I thought, let me drink Red Bull. Totally fucked up my routine. Mm. Went into this final, jittery as fuck, mm. like totally jittery. And I, I came second. Joyce Madawaka beat me, right? Oh, yeah. I remember I was like, and I didn't qualify for the world. I hadn't qualified for the world championships. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God. Tony, my coach, Tony Lester said, you got to do 200 meters. I remember going into my, <laughs> I remember, went to my hotel room, I was just in tears. I didn't want to do the 200, but I, I knew I had to do it. And I was vexed, I was angry as fuck, right? Mm. Went to this, I okay, did the first round of 200 meters, whatever, I can't remember what I ran. I ran that, and then got into the final, got, ran that final, like, like there was a dog chasing me. I, I, didn't, I had no technique. I didn't even know how to run the 200 meters. I, I ran 22.9, yeah? I hadn't run, I think I hadn't even broken 23.5 ever. <laughs> like wow. I ran 22.9, I qualified for the world championships. I didn't even know, like, I was like, I, cause I hated lactic. And mm -hmm. so the 200 meters is like, anyway. Got into the fine, got into that one, the 200 meters, went under 23 seconds. And that is like, 
for 200 meters runner, like a like a newbie, break going under 23 seconds puts you like on the you're not world class like world class, but you are verging on that. Yeah. So I was like 29. That's one of I didn't know. I didn't even know how to run the 200. Now my coach is teaching me how to run this 200 meters. 200. Nobody knew I was a 200 meter runner. I didn't know I was a 200 meter runner. And then went to the World Championships in France in Paris uh, for the 200 meters. Oh my god, it was abysmal I think was it the first or second round a second I think I got knocked out in the second round I don't think I've ever got knocked out in the second round of a major championship ever mm-hmm. and I think I ran I didn't even break 20 I didn't go under 23 seconds it was awful that girl that subsequently got caught for drugs literally was in the lane I think she was two I was probably in like lane seven or something and she was in lane I don't even know what lane she was but literally in three steps she had caught me Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was so embarrassing. I it was embarrassed. I came off the track, right? It was just more I was mortified. I didn't even think BBC interviewed me. I think I ran like 23 2 or something. Mm-hmm. It was awful. And then my coach, I saw Tony, my coach, he looked at me and he was just like, he goes to me, you know, if you if you're gonna run like that, you might as well just get a job. You might as well just mm-hmm. get a ballot. Honestly, that conversation, like him just saying that totally switched up, totally switched everything up for me like up for me at that point I got I got back to London you know I got back home I changed I moved so at that point I was living at home mm-hmm. I moved from um my parents house to Slough I was trying I used to train at uh Windsor and Eton yeah. um I moved I, I got a room some I yeah <laughs> not even I got a room changed up my whole thing became super dedicated like I'm yeah I was just training so the boys I was training with Tim Benjamin Marlon um was Rico training with that I don't know if Rico was training at that point I had a whole group I was like the only girl training with them at this point and I just became like I just did everything they did I became like a super athlete I trained twice a day I was going because I lived five minutes down this from the track I was going home sleeping coming back you know coming back and doing weights with the boys did everything my whole mindset changed and because of that like you know I started yeah like I got I got into the Olympic final for 200 meters which was never ever what I I never knew I was a 200 meter runner I would just I wasted 100 so yeah but I did the 100 and the 200 in Athens actually that year um that year love that story so with when did the switch happen where your parents actually saw that they had a very talented daughter and actually she could actually do something when when did that actually happen never <laughs> <laughs> my parents are nigerian when i tell you like people i had this conversation with my therapist yesterday uh, this morning uh, my parents don't care. like okay this is the thing okay my mom i remember she uh-huh. came I think it was in, it was Bedford. That's as far as my dad would drive me to go yeah. to a champion, to go to anything to Bedford because it's not yeah. far from Milton Kings. My family, some of my family, are Milton Kings. Yeah. So my mum came once, and then I remember her sitting there. She's like, "When can we go home?" When can-? <laughs> this was under twenty. <laughs> 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 that was the first and last time I ever brought her to any competition ever again. My dad would sit there and watch and stuff. Yeah. Um, this is like the under 23s, I remember. The A's under 23s. Um, so that's the story of my mum. Yeah. My dad was a bit more supportive. Like he would drive me, like when I was younger, when I was much younger, my dad would like take me to the track and or, no, he would pick me up yeah. from the track because it's quite late and stuff. Um, yeah. And then, uh, you know, when I was living at home, he would, t- you know, he'd, he'd take me, he would like drive me to the to, uh, train and he'd pick me up and stuff. So like he was supportive as much as he, he, you know, helped sometimes, but he wasn't, they weren't those parents that would come to, come to my uh, competitions. They would never come to my, my dad occasion when he was, he would take me, but they would never come to a competition. The first competition my mum had ever watched really uh, was Olympics in London. She'd oh. never, she, yeah. And that was because the tickets were free. <laughs> so, oh. And they were giving you, do you know what I mean? Yes. You know, and my dad was supposed to come, but he didn't come because he was too nervous to sit in the stadium. Oh. Um, so my parents, yeah, but you know, my parents, and do you know what? I love them for that because like, actually when I think about it and the, the girls and guys I used to see mm. compete, 
and you know who were way better than I was as a as a teenager and stuff yeah. their parents were doing everything for them they were taking them to a track they were the ones who almost was like pushing them and you know so a lot of them switched off because they didn't enjoy it because it wasn't coming from themselves but the drive I had was because I had it innately I had the yeah. drive I had to wake up I put you know as I said my parents never woke me up to go training or mm. or you know what I mean I would have to like you know call my dad to pick me up and stuff like that or you know so yeah so and that was fine like I didn't want my parents coming to attract me for me anyway like it just made me more nervous so mm. yeah that's the thing because it can it can go both ways some people when their parents are there it, it motivates them it pushes them and then there's some people when their parents are there it's like the worst thing possible for yeah them. it just makes my I, all I think when my mum is a child she wants to go home <laughs> so, so I I and you know, I never like you know, I'd never have my my sisters or my brother or anybody come because I wanted to concentrate. I didn't want any anybody asking me questions. I wanted co I wanted to be so focused. So nobody ever came. Like my pet, my siblings never came. My boyfriend never came. Nobody mm. came because I didn't want that extra distraction. Within a team setting, I guess you know, after a while, people almost align into. Kind of role so you may have the, the the leader you may have the the mother or the fathers of the group you may have those who are you know the jokers you may have the others who you know you can talk to so in terms of um the team setting what role did you have i didn't have a role. <laughs> i wouldn't be i i'm not like yeah i wouldn't say i had a role but to be fair like my career has been very um was very stop and start so, you know, so if we talk about like, so what, when, when we talked about Commonwealth, uh, Commonwealth Manchester 2001, I was the youngster. So my first championships was, uh, God, was my, my first championships, ma uh, major championships as a senior was um, Edmonton, World Championships in Edmonton. Yeah. That was, that was two, I can't remember, I think that was 2000. Um, and then Commonwealth, so I was the youngest, I was one of the youngest, um, you know, um, I didn't really have a role, like I had like Joyce, not Joyce, I had Marcia Richardson, I had uh, Denise Lewis, you know, um, Denise, who else was there? There was um, Donna Fraser. So they're like the kind of, you know, I mean, they were like the, the people who kind of looked after me, kind mm -hmm. of. And um, then, then I went to, I went to Manchester, I went to Athens. Um, again, like I didn't really have a role, like none of, it was so funny. Every championships I ever went to, I was, there was no, there was, there was none of my female peers. I was in 2008, and 2012, I was the only sprinter, yeah. who, sprinter who qualified. Joyce actually qualified, Did you, I think Joyce qualified for the, did she call it? I don't know, but she, maybe she's 2012. I don't think she was. But anyway, 2004 and 2000, I was the only one that uh, there was no relay team mm. and there was no other sprint, female sprinters. So I didn't have the, you know, I didn't have like uh, Jeanette Parchi like I did in the World Championships in 2011. Yeah. So like all the kind of relay girls like, or Montel or any of the relay girls that were previously, it was always, I always felt like I was always just there by myself. Like the boys had each other, like Marlon and Christian and all them. I didn't have that, those kind of goal settings. Yeah. And then because I was injured for such a long time after 2004, by the time I came back in 2000, I didn't know lots of people on the yeah. team. And there was no relay team. I only ever saw, you know, the girls I would compete against and all the relay team girls, they weren't there. So that was always something I struggled with, like the kind of friendship group. I didn't really make huge friendship groups. Um, and it's so funny, like, you know, you know, I know the older girls, like the Marcias and the Denises and stuff. Yeah. But I don't know, like, and I know kind of my peer group a little bit, but not as much as I know the older girls because yeah. I saw them much more than I saw them. Because by the time 2004 came, after 2000, I got, was injured for like six years. Yeah. So... And by that time, Marcia, um, Denise and Donna and uh, Michelle Griffiths, all those people had retired. Yeah. So I was, I didn't know those other girls. I didn't know the kind of girls. So I was always on like, you know, yeah. I was always with the boys or I didn't have like a role. I see. Yeah, you just, met, you just mentioned your, your injury. So I was speaking to Nathan about saying that 
your your career got affected a lot by injuries mm. how how did it feel at the time when you were going through injuries and trying to come back did it have an impact in your confidence did it have an impact in believing that you could still run as fast as you were running before yeah like it was crazy <laughs> um it was crazy like I remember um when Donna, I, I'm talking about people, but when Donna Fraser got injured, she was injured for long, she was injured for four years in her career. And I remember saying to her, I, God, if I had got injured for four years, I would have retired. <laughs> and then it came to haunt me. <laughs> and then, um, so, um, yeah, like it totally confidence. It was just one thing after another. I, I was like beset with constant injury. It wasn't even like, wasn't constant injuries as like one, one huge injury who which had um impacts on just my body the way my body um was able to recover and stuff and it just had you know impact on different areas of my body as well yeah, uh, yeah it was just insane yeah it definitely dented my confidence it you know I came when I did come back I just wasn't the same athlete <laughs> I couldn't you know I, the things I could do I, I wasn't I used to be able to do I couldn't do it as you know as easily um and I was like four years older yeah. You know, I got the Olympic final in 20, what, 24, I get, and then I didn't come back till 2010. I was more than four years old. <laughs> yeah. 2010, like, was my first major champions, uh, championships was Commonwealth to, uh, Delhi 2010. So, yeah, like, and, and that, yeah, it was insane. I remember going to, oh, my God, I remember going to a competition. Actually, was Donna, yeah, Donna was there, and, um, and Montel Douglas was there. I ran... Yeah, and I remember Monty saying to me, I ran in the 100 meters, I ran 11, 11, 9, 8 or something. I don't know, something nearly 12 seconds. And Monty said to me, oh, at least it wasn't 12 seconds. I'm like, I haven't run 11, any, I haven't run since, since I was like a teenager. Mm. <laughs> she goes to me, it was, I was like, I remember, it was in Poland. Oh my God, it's awful. I wanted to kill myself. It was so bad. Yeah, it was awful. I think that was in 2009 or something. Um, yeah, it was insane. <laughs> so during injuries, you have two types of athletes. You have those that just completely hide away and just don't want to watch anything remotely close to their sport. And you get the others that actually just want to watch everything, just you know, to keep their motivation up. Where were you? Were you the person that didn't want to watch athletics or... Did you all watch athletics? Oh no, I was a person who I, I'm like I'm like a you know cut, I'm just self-inflicting pain on myself. I'm that person. I want to watch it. I remember <laughs> watching the I remember watching uh, the 2008 uh, Beijing Olympics. So so this is how I I thought I was going to be Olympic champ. I'm not even shitting you. I thought I was going to be Olympic champion because I remember in 2000 I went to my I went to um, Beijing in 2001. Uh, one I feel like it's yeah 2001 and I won the world student games in Beijing and this is when they started doing like Beijing wasn't what Beijing probably looks like now but it was like you know they started building stuff for the 2000 or those were they do they get the 2000 yeah I think they started building for 2008 Olympics and I remember thinking okay I'm going to come back and win the Olympic games in 2000 so 2004 I was like cool that doesn't you know I was 24 I'm not at my peak 2008 that's when I'm going to be at my peak I'm going to get if I'm not going to win a medal I, I'm going to win a medal like mm. it's not the goal I'm going to win so I was going to be 28 and all this kind of stuff I remember watching baby I was just and you know the time difference was insane you're waking up at night while I'm watching it yeah I was watching, I didn't even go to sleep. I was watching stuff. Just, you know what I mean? Just self, just pain, inflicting pain on myself. So like, yeah, I watched it. Like, you know, I watched it all. I always wanted to know what was, um, what was happening in the sport. And because I was like, I needed to know how, it, you know, how it's moved on, how it's evolved, all the rest of it, yeah. Do you think you would have done anything different back then when you, when you were injured watching? Oh yeah, God, mm. yeah. Like I was like listening to UK athletics. You can't listen. You have to take your life in your own hands. You know what I mean? They're just like, they got a hundred athletes. They're like, they're like, as much as they care, they're just, they're limited. They're limited in their own kind of thinking sometimes. Yeah. Um, um, and what's accessible to them. Yeah. yeah. The only way I got, listen, after two years of being injured and nobody telling me what was wrong with me, you know, what was wrong with me and couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. I had to take my, I had to take my matters into my own hands. Like it was crazy. I was like, 
what's going on? Like yeah. nobody could tell me. I had to go to South Africa for a South African doctor to tell me what was wrong, like, and why my, my, uh, you know, my shin wouldn't heal. And that was what, that was in 2006. Mm. I got injured in 2004. Like, so, you know, end of 2000 and, and even then, so that was, the, okay, 2000, April, 2006, I was in Stroh, just outside Joburg, um, Potterstrom. Yeah. My coach but was speaking to, um, Tony was speaking to Kelly because yeah. she was based out in, in Potterstrom, whatever, we were training out there yeah. about, she was, he was talking to her about me um, and she was like, oh no, why don't you, why didn't Abby come and see my doctor, um, uh, Paul Dykstra? Or, so Paul was, he was, he lived in the town we were training at, went to see him. Listen, I had scan. He gave me a scan. Had this scan. They took me to this. You know, I you know I paid to go to have like two scans at the hospital. Mm -hmm. Came back that day. Paul said, "You've got a non-union stress fracture. You need to have an operation." The After two years wow. of UK athletics, not telling, couldn't tell me what was wrong with my shin. Right? Took one doctor in South Africa to. I spoke there. Called UK athletics and said, "This is what Paul Dykstra says." Wow. They're like, "No, he doesn't know what he's talking about." Hey, you know what? Don't even worry about it. I'm going to pay to have this operation. I was going to go to Australia to have this operation, right? Yeah. I'm going to pay to have this operation. Then after all that, I was like, nah, I'm having this operation. You guys aren't doing what you're supposed to do. December, after April being not December, that I had my operation in the UK with a, this doctor, uh, December 4th, 2006, I had my operation. Yeah, the same operation they refused to believe they were uh, then refused to they refused to acknowledge at the beginning. In the end, they let me have this operation in the UK. Yeah. Then, two thousand and five, they appointed Paul Dykstra as head mm. of medical yeah. <laughs> head of medicine head of medicine for UK athletics. Paul Dykstra is an amazing sports doctor. Shout out to Paul Dykstra. I think he's in uh, Qatar or something now. But yeah, can you imagine it? And then he, Paul Dykstra, he's amazing. He went to Arsenal. I think it was in Arsenal, Man U City or whatever, one of these yeah. men's football. Do you know what I mean? So this is how you have to not listen to these people. Get the second, third opinion, even if you have to pay it for yourself, because these people will tell you, no, no, no. But then look what happens. But anyway, that's what happened. So I guess before I ask... Um... I want to make it clear that I, I'm not trying to get emotions out of you. It's really for the listener to, to understand. So I guess my question is, after finding out after two years that uh, it's a sh it was your shin and, you know, UK Athletics, you know, didn't identify that. Can you talk to us about your resilience and how you just dealt with, being 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 given such a being dealt a blow knowing that it's finally you, you finally can um you finally have light at the end of the tunnel because your injury has been identified but at the same time knowing it's taken so long so can you talk to us about that yeah do you know what i wasn't even bitter like i think i was just relieved because you know it's like it's like anybody, like if you have an illness, you know there's something wrong, but nobody yeah. could tell you what was wrong. Yeah. It's just the knowing. I was so relieved that somebody had told me what was wrong because my shin, I broke my shin basically. My shin was broken and mm -hmm. they didn't couldn't tell me that. And Paul Dykstra said to me, if I had been a jumper, it would have snapped in half. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And so he said to me, like, you're lucky you weren't a jumper. Like, this is the thing. So somebody... And it was almost like, is, is it a fiction of, my, fiction of my imagination? I know there's something going on with the shin that my, I could feel the shin bending. Every all, so Your bone should bend, but you shouldn't know it. You shouldn't feel it. Yeah. But I could feel it bending. Oh. So, um, yeah, so it wasn't, I wasn't even angered. Like, do you know what I mean? I was literally relieved that somebody had told me what was wrong with my shin and there was a way to fix it. So I had this you know, this operation, they scraped out my bone, gave, put a bone healing agent, but it took another two years for my shin to repair it, wow. to heal. Wow, you wow, know, they wow. say, they say, they, the doctor did tell me like, your shin is, will be the strongest it's ever been because you've got bone on top of bone. Mm -hmm. Like my, you know, the, they took the old bone, but it's almost healed over itself. Okay. So yeah. it's like, it's super bone. Okay. But in that case, but then it then is not, 
pliable it's not yeah it's not movable bendable so you have to re-educate it to like maneuver the way so every time I'd run I just feel like almost it vibrating through my my so it took like two years to heal and then because of all the kind of imbalances I started to have Achilles issues um then I had one Achilles operation then I had another Achilles operation um and all these was like all my almost my body resetting itself okay um yeah that you know the shin wasn't even a big deal to me afterwards. Like it was, is the because it was the Achilles issues, the small, you know, and they weren't even huge issues that were yeah. in my knee in comparison to my to my um uh, uh, shin. But yeah. mentally, the mental struggle and the kind of setback it took, it took its it really took its toll. I remember like um I was yeah I was just. After my third shin operation, my second um, Achilles operation, I was like, mentally, I was, I was like, fragile. I was super mm-hmm. fragile. I was like, oh, you know, what's going to happen? I'm like, yeah. I'm never going to be able to run again. Mm-hmm. And I was like, my my thought was, 2004 can't be my defining moment. I couldn't have been just all I had. I, yeah. I know I have more, mm-hmm. but because of this, I'm, you know, I'm fucked basically. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was a real struggle, mental struggle. And at that point, I don't even think I would see, I think I had seen a psychologist, um, maybe a couple of years afterwards. Um, but then, you know, I didn't get UK funding and then you can't, you know, I didn't see a psychologist. So I, yeah. So it's all me dealing with it by myself, basically. I think that's the thing. A lot of people don't realise how how difficult it can be when it comes to the UK funding, when you're not getting the support, when you're not getting the backing. Did, did with some of the other athletes, did you see some of them just decide, you know what, I'm just giving up. I can't, I can't do this. Yeah, there's so much mental health issues surrounding that. And like, because now you had, um, I'm awful with names, but you had uh, Natasha Danvers came out and she talked about mental health issues. You had that hurdler, I won't remember his name, but you know, 400 meter hurdler who came out and he was really, I think he was really, um, you know, struggled with mental health. I think he was on GMTV talking about it um, and he retired because of it. Like he couldn't, you know, as an athlete, it's one thing to the mental health, the mental uh, gymnastics you play with this, you know what I mean? And the kind of mental strength you have to just compete. But then on top of that, adds injuries and has you know things that are out of your control. Yeah. Um, it just because it's it's it can be crippling. Like it's, it's it's and then you don't have the support and they don't like as much. You know, all they took at that point, all they talked about was you know coaching and you know strength and conditioning and your protein and all this kind of nutrition and stuff. Nobody was talking about mental health and like how do you how do you, and you know especially with the you know if you talk about the um, the uh long distance runners there was a huge thing about anorexia and bulimia and stuff all these things that they weren't addressing and i think and and they started addressing that but with this you know with the kind of strength and you know strength stuff and like you know sprinters and whatever they weren't addressing like the mental and it it all it all comes into play whether it's bulimia it's all mental health isn't it so they weren't addressing that um i think as as sprinters or as you know sprinters you're seen as strong and that and yeah and you're strong physically possibly but mentally everybody's you know we all take it differently and yeah I still say yeah there's lots of mental health issues in athletics in sport as in general I suppose. On a scale of one to ten um, how well were you supported during your injury period? You know, my immediate group, like my coach, you know, I had the Tony Lester's amazing. He was amazing. I had the some of the best physios, like, um, yeah, some of the best physio. Paul Dykstra was amazing. And he would have kept seeing me if he could. And he did see me when I still wasn't funded. He was amazing. You know, but the upper echelons of UK Athletics, yeah, I'm like, it's just, you know, it's like in with the old... Oh, out with the old, in with the new. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And they can't see that. You know, in fairness, they can't see what you see or what you think you can see. So they have to. They they have to like you know tick the, those boxes. You know, get those you know lottery funding to get your funding. You have to get. But it is really it's it's really difficult. I like, can imagine it's difficult to juggle the two. That you know they might see they want to help you, 
but because they're restricted by this kind of category or this structure they can't but you know I had I built great relationships with my you know my physios and my doctors and they saw my struggles and so they did help me up to a point Mm -hmm. but yeah like towards the end of it like by the time I retired I was done with it. <laughs> I was done with that. <laughs> so, so when it came to retirement, was it literally to do with the injuries or was it just you got to a point you're like, you know what? Um, I've, I'm yeah, finished. so London 2020, uh, London 2012 was um, an interesting, it was interesting to me. Um, after that, like, yeah, like what it took for me to get there was really, was like, for me, I had something to prove. Yeah you know, not just to myself, to everybody else. Um, but when I finished, I was super depressed. I was awful. I was just like, it was awful. Um, and then I thought, I'm going to take a year out and come back for Commonwealth Games yeah. in uh, Scotland. And then I took, I, you know, I took that time out and I realised, like, it gave me some, just some space. And I realised I hated it. I hated, mm. I hated the track. I hated yeah. the people. No. I didn't want to do it. and uh yeah and like I realized like there's more to life than it and yeah and I think I was just on this hamster wheel of like proving myself and all this stuff and actually when I came off the wheel I was like why am I doing this to myself oh. <laughs> just like, yeah so that was that was that I've got a silly question for you so no, um, so when I I guess Ed and I were big football fans and Sometimes when we watch, you know, say the best teams play against some of the more of the the minnows um, in the league, you can tell that the minnows are they're just there. They're almost um, excited to be on the pitch with these multi-millionaires, and there's already that intimidation there. And uh, when we go into individual sports as well, in tennis as well, playing against the big guns, already people have already lost um, before, you know. Uh, a racket has even been touched because it's just yeah i mean i'm in i'm in presence with with greatness mm. so i guess my question to you is being a um a team gb and when you come up against the the americans the great americans mm. uh, and sometimes not even the individuals it's just the americans mm. does that have an impact on you mentally coming from team gb and knowing that these guys before the Jamaicans came through these guys just have a presence they have the success talk to us about that nah you don't respect anybody on the nah. <laughs> nah. listen when I say when I tell you I wanted to be Olympic champion I'm not messing you there was like the only way you can be cha- a champion is like is like respecting no one <laughs> yeah. there is no there's no way yeah I used to think I see what's name. Oh, I'm awful with names. What is this woman's name? The woman that, you know, the tall woman that got done for drugs or whatever. Aaron Jones. Marion. Marion Jones. Yeah. I used to think I could beat her. Like, <laughs> there was no, like, because that is who you needed to, to believe. Like, otherwise, what was the point? Otherwise, are you just making that, making up the numbers? I wasn't trying to make up the numbers. I was trying to be the best in the world. Like, yeah. so when I got into that Olympic final, you know what I mean? there's certain things I would have changed in my mindset and stuff but because I'd never been there before you know I didn't I didn't quite understand what I needed to be but I thought you know I knew I'd leveled up do you know do you know what I mean and that's what you need like if I was playing Serena Williams yeah she's great but she's not unbeatable (laughs) you know what I mean she was once you know Serena Williams that nobody knew and became yeah. whatever yeah. and Venus you know I mean Venus Williams was up there before Serena all this kind of stuff she had to imagine to beat her sister to become the champion yeah. so like for me I don't I I never yeah, I was embarrassed when these people beat me not because like they were good but because they beat me <laughs> I was like I, you know you can't you can't go in the pitch yeah you see people who are like in awe of that yeah. but Nah, I was never in awe of anybody. Like, that's why when I see people, yeah, it's cool and stuff. I don't get hyped because it's like, they're just human beings. Yeah. I I never thought that because I wanted to, I wanted to be Olympic, be Olympic champion if you're in awe of these people. Yeah. Like, nah, no, no. <laughs> I think that's the, the difference of a winning mentality is at all costs. You're not thinking about who's around you. You think, I want to win. I don't care who's yeah, around you. Yeah, you don't care. I couldn't, I couldn't even imagine like, mm. and you know, 
yeah, I must have known Marion Jones were on drugs and these other people on drugs, but it didn't even occur to me they were on drugs because people are like, oh, you're naive. But no, I wasn't naive. If I was so concerned with them being on drugs, how could I believe I could beat them? (laughs) And so that is how athletes have to think. You know what I mean? Like you can't be looking at these athletes and thinking there were so many people on drugs. I didn't even, it didn't even occur to me these people on drugs. I just wanted to beat them. Do you know what I mean? And that was the only thing like, yeah. Olympic final, um, you briefly mentioned that you would have changed a few things. Um, So before you even mentioned that, what was that feeling beforehand? Because we're talking about hundreds of millions of people watching around the world. So talk to us about that that feeling just before um, you start racing. God, I don't even remember. Like, I remember feeling that Olympic final, I remember feeling so tired. And I, that is what I, I remember my coach saying to Tony, saying to me, just one more, Wabby, just one more. Because what you have to realise, I before 2004, yeah, 2000, before 2003, I was a 100 meter run. I'd only ever gone to major championships for 100 meters. Yeah. I went for this Olympic for 100 meters and 200 meters. And at that point they were doing four rounds of each. Mm. I got into three rounds of, I missed the final mm. again with another drug cheat. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I missed the final of the 100 meters by one place. I missed that by one place. So I did three rounds and then yeah. I did three rounds of the 200 in order to get to that uh, 200, uh, 200 meter final. Mm-hmm. They don't do that anymore. You only do three rounds now. Mm. I was exhausted. I had never done that. Mm-hmm. I'd never done two majors and two, you know, even as a, as a junior, I'd never done two, um, two events. I was exhausted. I was mentally exhausted. I remember Tony goes, mm. one more, one more. And like I went into I went into that champion that final feeling tired, and I remember thinking, and I thought, you know what I mean, like, because I remember the rounds right, and um, Alison Felix was in every round. She was in my heat first, yeah. second, third heat. Mm. I was coming second to her every time, and I was like, and I was just on it. I was on it, and it was easy, and I was just right. You know what I mean? I I had mastered the two hundred meter technique, like. Yeah. It's not, you can't run it like you're running hundred meters. Yeah. And I'd mastered it, but I remember when, and I, my mental state was like how tired I was. Yeah. And that was the only thing I regretted. If I hadn't felt, if I had gone into it, the way I had gone into it, you know, the first, the second, the third, it would, I know it would have changed, changed so much. And yeah. that was it. And I thought, you know, I thought after that, I thought I'd have another crack at it because yeah. then I, you know, done it. And but obviously it didn't happen. <laughs> it didn't yeah. happen. So um, you were done. You decided, okay, I'm going to finish my career. Did you know what you wanted to do next when you were finished? No, no, not at all. I, I remember my dad goes, ah, now you can do your go and be a lawyer. I'm like, oh, I, I actually did look into it. I was like, oh my god, I've got to pay ten thousand pounds to do a conversion, and and I was like, I can't be bothered. <laughs> I just can't be bothered. Um. Um, no, I didn't know what, I, th- I think the reason I kind of like not see, so, so even though I had like 2012 stock, I didn't, um, I was, I didn't know I was retiring, but I was still training yeah. into 2013. Yeah. It was almost like a, what was it? Automatic response. Like that's what I was always done for the last yeah. 15 years or whatever. So I was doing it like I was still, <laughs> I knew I wasn't going to compete that year and I was yeah. still, I was still training. Um, I was still training and I didn't know what I was going to do. Um, I think all that was me keep training was to kind of like, you know, because obviously I was in some, you know, mental anguish because, you know, everything yeah. I'd done, you know, was going to be changed or whatever. And I wasn't ready for that change or I hadn't mm-hmm. kind of put stuff in place for that. And so it took me a year and a bit to kind of like, set everything set stuff up mm-hmm. and then you know and then um and then you know I kind of realized in 2014 or whatever that I was actually or do that at the end of 2013 I wasn't gonna because I actually my coach Tony kept calling me is like when are you coming back so September when he come back when he come back to training and then I had to say actually I realized actually mm, I don't think I am gonna come back to training yeah. so yeah what was in, in terms of the support so you're only really hearing from uh, from footballers so I guess it would really be interesting to hear from your perspective so you know you've retired it's, it's it's been made known 
what support were you getting from, I guess, you know, the organizations, the, 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 the federation? There was um, no support, literally no. I remember Jeanette Quachi called me and said, was it, yeah, it was Jeanette. She said, ah, oh, there's, um, I think it was British Olympic Association set up stuff like, like a careers day or something. Yeah. And so Jeanette called me to like, Let, let's go. I went with her, ended up talking to this woman actually, um, who was, I think she was a recruiter, uh, you know, I politics and sociology, I did a master's in human rights. I was telling her about stuff and she was like, oh, cool, like send me your CV, da, da, da. So I sent her my CV and then she ended up actually, which was really lovely of her. I, um, she said, oh, uh, Carphone Warehouse, we're looking for like somebody to help with like um, corporate social responsibility, the head of corporate social responsibility uh, for like a, yeah, a month contract to do like, um, they're doing like a wellness day or something, you know, do you want to come along? Yeah. So I ended up going along to that uh, contract, just do like a month or so. And the head of the corporate, Kess, Kessa she was head, she's head of uh, social corporate responsibility at Carfing. She was like, oh, I'd love to have you in like permanently, like, you know, part-time, you can do like two days a week. So I ended up working there with her, um, you know, uh, just the CSR stuff. So that was one thing that was great. Um, and then my friend, Jay Johnson, long jumper, she uh, called me or whatever, texted me and said, oh, you know, um, I forgot one of these organizations for Olympians, you can get free, uh learn how to be a pt for free or whatever yeah. and she says i'm doing it why don't you come along and do it with me so i was like yeah cool so i did that um and then i ended up getting a job working for third space okay it's a it's like a boutique gym across london um mm -hmm. so i was working for them so i was doing i was doing corporate social responsibility with uh car phone and then i was doing pting with with them um, which was cool for me because like they gave me clients and it was yeah. it was easy and I actually really enjoyed it. Yeah. So I had done some coaching, um, coaching with kids and stuff, and so I like I, I kind of like working with adults and stuff. And mm -hmm. It was easy. And then the corporate social responsibility, and then up, and then I ended up doing like what doing like talks with kids, and I was like doing some coaching, mm -hmm. and then I ended up setting up a business with my friend. Again, it wasn't like this thing I was thinking; it was just something to do um, that was different from athletics. Was um, yeah, like you know, you know, keeping me occupied because I at that point I still hadn't decided to retire. I was still yeah. like one foot in the door and stuff so yeah so it all kind of popped off because of friends of athletics uh, through athletics not because the organization you know yeah. UK athletics and organization was putting anything together for us and that's when you see a lot of athletes um stay on much longer than they should because of that because yeah. they don't know what to do and I you know I wouldn't say I was one of them but um but yeah I I you know yeah yeah my last question to you. Um, so who were your, well, you've mentioned, you kind of mentioned some at the beginning, but who was your favourite sporting star? I didn't have a favourite sporting star, but I did really like, okay, there's a woman, I'm awful of names as you can yeah. Her name was Pavlova or Pavlova. She used to be, um, she's a Russian athlete. And she used to be, uh, she used to be a 200 metre runner mm. and she moved to four, uh, four, 400 meter hurdles and I remember watching her as a, as a teenager because she was really tall but yeah. her, uh, but her leg her uh, the way she would run she, her high knees like when I when I was a kid I would drop my knees and stuff and I'd run it behind myself whatever I but yeah. I would see her the way she would run so effortlessly and I yeah. and every time I would go training I would just think about how she was running her high knees and her leg strike was so amazing. Mm -hmm. And that's what I would try and emulate. And so she became a person, not because I thought she was, she was an amazing athlete actually, but mm -hmm. her technique was amazing. Like yeah. when she got into her stride, her stride length and stuff, a bit like uh, Usain Bolt, but a bit more elegant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Abby, um, what can I say? Um, really, really, really thankful and, you know, honored to, to have you on. One thing I will say, Edwin probably will punch me when he sees me. But one thing I will say um, to you is that he did say to me um, that had you not had any injuries, you definitely would have would have won something. 
Oh, um, thank you, Edwin. <laughs> so, and this is coming from an individual that was an athlete himself and knows the sport, you know, inside out. So, um, thank you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And myself as well, you know, I, I definitely <laughs> did know. I myself, I watch Athletic and I did and watch it. So, it's a little bit, um, I'm like yourself, I try to just keep it cool, but. If you want me to be honest, it's yeah. I was I'm I'm very very excited to 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 actually have you on this podcast because oh, you. you you've shared so many gems and yeah. for somebody that has been in the Olympic final, you're an Olympian, you know, and um we know bar injuries, you know, you would have you would have been so much more successful. So from oh, the bottom you. of our hearts, um we we're so 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 thank you. Um, and if anyone wants to get in contact with you, if you wanted to get in contact with you. <laughs> Um, um, please, you can fire away, share. How can they get in contact? Yeah, I'm not really. So my Instagram's private, but okay. you can. Yeah, it's private. I'm just like I'm off. I I'm a very private person, That's but nice. um, yeah. Uh, my business is called Liha Beauty, L I H A B Beauty. So if you ever want to send me a message, just DM through that or get to me. Um, you can DM me through my Instagram, my personal Instagram. It's my name, Abby Oyepidun. Um, yeah, but I probably won't allow you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll probably message I'll message you back so yeah that's it um thank you very much okay guys until next time um if you're a new listener welcome aboard if you are uh old and regular listener thank you again for listening please share until next time take care and bye